Welcome to today's podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm Sean Heath, and today I have the privilege of getting to have a conversation with Ray Hartgen, the Marketing Director for Retail Next. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Sean. Uh, nice to meet you, and uh, happy to have a conversation with you. So, uh, Sean's I have to say, I like you like that branding, right? I had a feeling I you'd do. be able to appreciate that. So I, you I, work I, I, in a... a you work in a really interesting sort of cross-section that fits my personality perfectly because you work in retail but also in software. And I just happen to love buying things, and one of my favorite things to buy is technology. So this, I'm really excited about this. Give me the sort of the elevator pitch of how you wound up at Retail Next. Sure, Sean. Uh, and I'm coming uh, talking with you today from the Bay Area, uh, Silicon Valley. And uh, it's kind of a, a rite of passage for almost everybody in the area to sooner or later work for a startup company. And I felt the time was uh, uh, overdue for me and started talking with the, the good folks at Retail Next. And what's kind of great about retail is uh, we as, as shoppers are all experts on, on retail. And the, the retail industry has undergone a massive transformation with the advent of online shopping over the last you know 20 years. But really over the last five or 10 years, has, has, uh, we've seen a big shift in the pendulum uh, between uh, who controls the retail uh business and the retail experience. It used to be retailers were in control of retail, primarily the chief merchant, uh, telling shoppers what they can buy and where they can buy it and how much they can buy it for and so on. Uh, today, shoppers are in control. And so all of us as shoppers are retail experts. Uh, we dictate the type of retail experiences that we want uh, because we have uh, you know, an unparalleled access to information at our fingertips. We also have global alternatives to where we spend our money. Uh, so, uh, so now shoppers are in control. It's very easy, uh, to be able to, uh, to be an expert in retail because we all have an abundance of retail experience as shoppers. And that's really the most important thing for the industry right now. The industry is, is trying to, uh, understand how to better respond to the needs of, uh, of its shoppers. And, uh, that's what we do here at Retail Next. Uh, we work, uh, with, uh, technological solutions for retailers to, to help them become more shopper centric, to help them become better retailers. I've heard being a part of a startup described as a healthy mix of anxiety, fear, and bravery. You seem to be weathering that sort of challenge very well. But at some point, every company was a startup, right? Everybody had to start someplace. And you have a, a very unique sort of perspective on these companies that maybe they're trying to get their get a leg up in retail which is an incredibly that has to be one of the most competitive markets competitive industries in the world right everybody's trying to sell somebody something but you mentioned that there's been sort of a paradigm shift that now instead of companies just saying here's what we're selling you you must buy this because you say as shoppers we have experience we're kind of influencing the way things are developed to be sold to us, right? Uh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think, you know, some of the most successful retail brands out there use their shoppers kind of as product managers, right? Uh, you know, it's so easy to engage in dialogue with shoppers, particularly through social media platforms. Uh, and, and people feel empowered to give, uh, to give their opinions on things, whether they like this or don't like that and so on. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the most, the, the best performing uh, retailers uh, are the retailers that have carved out a, a very differentiated value proposition, and that's completely shopper centric. You know, letting you know, understanding what the shoppers need, 
uh, what the shoppers want, and then uh, very agilely being able to, uh, to to produce upon that. And it's something that's you know much different than some of these old school legacy retailers that we've been familiar with. You know, uh, you know, through the course of my lifetime, we've seen you know major brands, brands that completely dominated the retail scene. You know, Sears comes to mind. Uh, shrink uh, tremendously, uh, particularly over the last decade, uh, as they try to come to grips with a, a new retail reality. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you say that because part of the the genesis or part of the cause of that reduction in that brick and mortar sort of powerhouse of a company has been the emergence of these social platforms, the emergence of the internet, digital natives, I think you have referred to it before. And that that's a challenge, I think, for a company that that traditionally thinks in, you know, I want to I want to call it the real world, but let's call it analog in the analog market, trucking and warehouses and and come into our store and here's our showroom and all the the costs that go along with that. It can actually be more expensive to try and establish an e-commerce footprint, can it? It, it, it can, and it's uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, component. You know, uh, for the last year, maybe a little bit more than a year, last 18 months, there's been a, you know, a lot of uh, press talk around the retail apocalypse, and that's, that's driven from some of these big brands, these, these analog, if you will, you know, legacy retailers who have, who have struggled for a while because, you know, as the Internet came along, they needed to add a channel to their existing business. So you, you'd have your stores, you'd have your call centers, you'd have catalogs, and all of a sudden it's this Internet thing. Let's like try to paste on this this internet channel, and and you begin to come up with goofy little things, you know, the ver- vernacular in the retail business omni-channel, right? And, it, and we kind of got off got off base there, so we started talking about all these different these different touch points and different channels that retailers try to impose on shoppers. At the end of the day, you know, your family, Sean, my family, everybody else, we call it shopping, right? You know, so it's it's trying to blend these channels together, and and one of the uh, one of the storylines I think that that's been overlooked in the last couple of years is that while this vacuum is being created by people like Sears and J.C. Penney and Toys R Us and another big kind of traditional legacy retailers shrinking their footprint and shrinking the number of stores that they have open, uh, filling that vacuum is the digital native, right? That the the retailer that started online uh, and then realized that there's only so far that they could grow. They reached a plateau. And then now they have to figure out, you know, what's the way that we can appeal to shoppers in new markets and develop our business. And one of the most difficult things for for digital natives, uh, online e-commerce retailers to do is to compete against Amazon. You know, it's it's impossible to out Amazon Amazon with a possible exception, maybe of Walmart. Uh, so if you're a company other than Walmart, uh, it's, you're just going to you're facing a losing battle. So how can you differentiate yourself? How can you break into new markets? And we've seen, uh, being in the retail industry, uh, a, the, probably the fastest growing part of our business is uh, e-commerce, uh, companies who started on in e-commerce, digital native, uh, entering brick and mortar retail for the very first time. You know, that that's a really interesting phrase that you said. It's impossible to out Amazon. Amazon, that seems to me like it could almost be a good thing. If you can accept right now, you're starting your business, you want to be a retailer, if you accept right now, I don't want to be the next Amazon. I want to be the first us. I want to be the first me. And that kind of 
frees you from the standard procedures that you would, like you said, the standard channels you would go through in retail. And it literally, your hands are tied in that, okay, we can't approach it that way. But then there's got to be a certain type of freedom that comes along with, okay, we not only can we not do business the traditional way, but we don't have to do business the traditional way. And that seems to be something that Retail Next really is positioned to help with, because I know you focus on uh, smart store retail analytics, and and data is everything, especially in e-commerce, correct? It, absolutely, in e-commerce. The, the kind of the, the paradigm shift, the reason this company started 10 years ago is that, uh, you know, old school retailing was kind of uh, very much a, a gut feel. Uh, you know, retailing was uh, based on years of experience. And with that experience, you know, a lot of it was born out of bad judgment. But with that experience, you get to uh, have better judgment. And so it's a, a lot of subjective thoughts, uh, you know, from everything from, you know, assorting merchandise to the design of stores and so forth. It's kind of that, you know, what what feels right and what do we want to do? Uh, e-commerce changes that whole paradigm. Uh, if there is one thing that e-commerce has taught, uh, all of the world. It's, uh, being able to analytically note where people are going on your websites and where they're not going, uh, what they're reading, what they're not reading, where they're clicking and so forth. And then you get all those, you know, great recommendation engines. It's like, hey, Sean, you've been clicking on this. Other people who click on this might like some of these types of items. And so you might want to look at these items as well. Uh, so, you know, one of the, my favorite examples of, of e-commerce and data analytics is, just the, the A-B testing of any change to a website from the color of a buy now button to the placement of images to the, the additional, uh, the, the adding of, uh, new products to a page. Uh, just try it out. Offer it up to, uh, you know, uh, half of your customers get a green buy it now button. The other half get a, a gold buy it now button and see which one converts higher. Um, the one that converts higher, it wins the A-B test. And that's the way we do it for all of our pages. Uh, that's what, Retail analytics in store retail analytics allow retailers to do. You know, understand, uh, the number of shoppers that come to the store and then where shoppers go, where they don't, how they interact with store personnel uh, and so forth. And then just delivering upon that data to, to give shoppers the experiences that they tend to lean toward in the first place. This is what they want. Give them more of what they want. Give them a lot less of what they don't want. I have always, there's a, a definite separation for me. In when I'm on an on an e-commerce site, I happen to like the fact that Amazon, for example, can tell me, oh, you just looked at microphones. Here are some some people who bought microphones also bought this case. Well, I wasn't thinking about buying a case, but you know what? I like that. Oh, that's a good idea. And I and it that purchase is made not because I was forced into it or tricked into it, but because they generally showed me. Hey, here's a suggestion. What about this? And I like that. I like when those suggestions and that tracking information about me is contained within that website. I don't want to go to Facebook and get an offer for that microphone case. I like the this separate self-contained ecosystem and that approach. And because otherwise it seems kind of creepy, right? Twitter doesn't need to know that I like a certain type of soap. That that's just that nobody needs to know that, but I that's got to be something that data helps drive. And you mentioned about gut. I've heard it said that um, it's good to trust your gut, but you can always count on data. 
Ah, that's a, that's a good saying. Uh, I wish I had said that first. Uh, one of many things I wish I had said first. Uh, you know, the, what you just uh, pointed out with the you know, recommendations online and how you enjoy that, I mean, that used to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the role of the sales associate in the store, right? They, they look at you, Sean, and go, hey, that's an excellent microphone. This is the reasons that you might like it. This is how it compares to some other microphones. Oh, you selected this one? Great. By the way, if, you, if you're going to move it around, you might be interested in this travel case to protect it, right? You know, they were the ones that were, were upselling you in a traditional store metrics. That would be, you know, an increase in the units per transaction. And of course, the increase in your average transaction value. And for you, it's better shopper satisfaction. You're getting you're the complete solution for what you want. And, and online is able to do that with data. And it's a great place. Uh, you know, online stores are a great way to, you know, start your business and be, to begin to establish a brand identity. But, you know, there comes a certain point that a, a lot of e-commerce uh, uh, stores are, are experiencing that in order to grow past this natural plateau effort, uh, it, it becomes very, very expensive. And there's a couple of reasons for that that, that seem kind of counterintuitive. Uh, you know, one is that the cost of customer acquisition in new markets is extremely expensive. You know, you think it's like, oh, we'll just do SEO and stuff like that. Well, you know, any SEO consultant can tell you that it's not free. And, uh, and trying to, uh, trying to have a, you know, a credible, consistent messaging and a strategy that expands your market, uh, expands your brand in a new market can be incredibly expensive. We've actually found e-commerce uh, customers like Warby Parker, for example, they will open a store in a new market and use the store as a way of, of acquiring new customers at more inexpensive. It's actually cheaper to rent a store, to staff a store, to serve customers there and introduce a, a, a new market to your brand and product, and then nurture those relationships long term through the online properties. You know, if you go to an, a Warby Parker store, you're not going to walk out with product, uh, but you're going to walk back to your, your mobile device or your or your computer, and you're going to order some product from their online properties and have it delivered to your home. Uh, so it's kind of a, a counterintuitive uh, idea of, of why some of these digital natives are breaking into stores. And then there's some other ones too, right? You know, online shopping so easy for you to price compare. So there's not a lot of margins. You know, it's as simple as open a, another tab in your browser and you can compare. You know, the microphone that you were looking at earlier, uh, Sean. You could go to any provider around the world and see what's the exact same microphone uh, and what price is it. So you're going to get the lowest price, and because of that, the, the online world, you're going to have small margins. Uh, and then, you know, it, it, while you might not order a lot of microphones, I can certainly tell you in the, in the apparel business, online shoppers have been trained to buy way more than they need or they want, uh, knowing that they're going to return it, and they're going to return it for free. You know, 88% of the people uh, that uh, go to Amazon uh, go there because of free shipping. It's an amazing statistic, right? You know, so uh, as an online retailer, you're kind of forced to uh, to do free shipping. But you also know that, you know, uh, when I'm looking for a pair of shoes and I'm, you know, somewhat confused on whether I'm a 10 and a half or 11, and whether I like style A, style B, or style C, I'll order them all. I'll order sizes 10 and a half and 11, and A, B, and C. I know I might keep one or two, but I'm going to return four or five of them. Uh, and the, the online stores, the one that's going to be paying for shipping both ways. And that reverse supply chain also kills them. And the fact that, you know, a good chunk of their inventory is in boxes going back and forth across the country and it's not available for sale. And uh, any retailer can tell you nothing kills cash flow more than inventory uh, and, and cash is king. Well, you mentioned a, a very interesting process and I used to know the word for it and I cannot remember it. The act of going to a physical store like a Best Buy, for example, looking window shopping, maybe it was called. 
where you walk uh, so in, you look at a particular device. What's it called? Yeah, I think you're referring to showrooming, right? Thank you. That's it. Yes. And you mentioned that Warby Parker's doing that on purpose to help spur their online sales. That's brilliant. Yeah, you're not going to you're not going to stop showrooming. Uh it, it's, it's we're, we're empowered now, right? You know our you know our mobile device is with us all the time and and it there's we're not leaving it in the car when we walk into the store, right? And so you'll look around uh for things and and you'll see retailers that embrace that. It's like absolutely showroom. But you know why you're doing it? You might want to look at some of these other products that go along with it, some of these other tools. Like you're looking at a microphone and, you know, here's an instruction manual on that microphone, Sean. And, and these are some tips on how you can install that microphone in the studio. Uh, you know, all this value added type of content. So it's not just showrooming for price. It's also an opportunity, uh, to, to, to help the, the, the shopper, you know, develop a complete solution for themselves. You have the inverse of, uh, uh, showrooming, rooming, and that's web rooming. Uh, that's when you do, you know, you do all your research online, then you actually go into the store uh, to buy something. Uh, and a lot of times that's because of immediate fulfillment. You know, I, I want something today and I don't want to wait 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours for it to, to show up. So let me do all my research online, uh, compare prices. Okay, I'm going to go pick up this microphone at this particular store. I'll, I'll run out and buy it. Two, two phenomena that aren't going away. And uh, the effective retailers are the retailers that are embracing that. And uh, this is the way shoppers shop. Now, let's make it easier. Uh, for shoppers to shop within my brand and to purchase my brand. And, you know, what are the services? You know, I, I really, I thought you really kind of hit the nail on the spot is that I don't, I can't be Amazon and I can't out Amazon Amazon. So how am I going to be the best me? You know, what's the, the brand ethos I have and what, what makes my brand different? Whether it's, you know, sustainability, uh, you know, and environmental concerns, if it's, uh, uh, you know, cultural, if it's diversity, inclusion, uh, what have you, you know, what's my, what does my brand stand for? How do I communicate that to my shoppers? And then how do I make shopping super easy for my shoppers so I become their retailer of choice? And that sounds like a move away from just a simple transactional relationship to more of an emotional relationship, which is more enduring and, and I think healthier in the long run. As a thought leader in this industry, kind of let's take a 30,000 foot view, okay? What do you see as being the main, I don't want to say battlefield, but the main playing field as things that are sort of, they're changing whether retailers want them to or not. And you mentioned the smart retailers will embrace these. What do you think are the really main touchstones moving forward for retailers? Well, certainly, you know, cutting through the noise, right? There's, you know, we're bombarded uh, with messages. You know, all those, all those tools that we have uh, make it super easy. Uh, for us to get to overindulge in those tools, right? So the more the more you look at your online properties to your mobile device, to your notebook computer, and, and you know even old school media like you know television advertising, things like that. Uh, lots of brands, a lot of brand messages out there. You know, uh, we as shoppers have kind of turned away a little bit from uh, from department stores. So you're seeing more and more brands go direct to consumer. Uh, so it's direct to consumer, certainly through their website. And then direct to consumer through these stores. So instead of selling my, you know, particular pair, my, my, you know, my microphones through the department store, uh, I might just have my entire store just selling my particular brand. Um, and, uh, and because of that, we're getting more and more noise, right? So if, if there's more and more brands going direct to consumer, we as consumers are being inundated with, uh, with messaging. So 
it's going to be important for brands to be able to cut through that noise and be able to you know, communicate very succinctly what their value proposition is. Uh, and, and again, that comes down to you know, standing for what your brand is about, you know, communicating that to shoppers and, and then trying to resonate with it. And, you, and you, you hit on something with the emotional connection. You know, the best marketing out there is that, that type of marketing, that type of brand and, and customer relationship that evokes uh, an emotional attachment. And, and that emotional attachment turns itself into customer retention and customer loyalty. And those are fairly inexpensive ways uh, to build your business. It's a lot easier to keep the customers you have than to steal the customers that some other business has, right? So, uh, so how can you make those uh, emotional connections and, and cut through the noise? And then, you know, ultimately it comes down to delivering on the promises that you make as a brand. You know, Nordstrom for years has prided itself on under-promising and over-delivering. And when you look in the department store space, you know, they continue uh, to excel. In a, in a space that has seen an awful lot of challenges in the last year, three to five years. You know, you mentioned uh, Neiman Marcus. I don't know a lot about Neiman Marcus, but I know for a fact personal shoppers. That's what I know about. That's the first thing I think about when I think about Neiman Marcus. I don't think it's an expensive store. They sell these brands. I think, oh, personal shopper. That's something, a service that they provide that really makes them stand out. Now, I, I have. I, I've taken a lot of your time today. We haven't even touched on a one tenth of the things that Retail Next does. So I'm I'm going to ask you to come back. I definitely want to have at least uh, 14 more interviews with you because we have to touch on um, we have to touch on Mobile Engage, which as a tech nerd I find that fascinating. We have to touch on the Aurora V2, the fact that you guys work with integrated AI. I mean, there are there are so many things that Retail Next does. So let me go ahead and direct everybody when you're finished listening to this podcast. Not now. Wait a minute. Go to retailnext.net and be just as amazed as I was when you start to see some of these neat solutions that uh, Ray and everybody at Retail Next have come up with. Ray, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time for my dumb questions today. Uh, you've been incredibly patient, and uh, that is the mark of a true American hero. So thank you for that. Today. I appreciate the opportunity, Sean. Always a, always a pleasure speaking. Uh, with you, it's always fun talking about retail too. And there's a, a, you know, retail, like, like you said very early on, you know, we're, we all, we're all, uh, shoppers. We all have retail experience and we all have opinions and, and these opinions now are, are power. Uh, we're reshaping the industry, uh, each and every day. And, uh, and there's lots to talk about on how retailers can respond to shoppers. And ultimately it comes down to, you know, being shopper centric and, there's tools out there uh, for, for retailers to use, and it's new for a lot of legacy retailers. And that's what's kind of fun and exciting about it is, you know, as technologies advance, you talked about artificial intelligence. It's really cool. You know, how can you apply it to retail? It's being applied to retail. It has been online for several years. It's in stores now. It's great, and it's just going to help retailers better, you know, uh, appeal to uh, the needs and the wants and the values of their shoppers. So it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I'd be happy to come back anytime you'd like to. Today, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Ray Hartgen, the Marketing Director for Retail Next. Ray, thanks so much. I certainly have appreciated it, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. 